0: Hey Mark, how much steak do you eat a week, man?
1: I don't know, man. I think I eat like two or three pounds every single day. So let's see, carry the one. I think that's probably about 50 pounds of steak a week. My God. Do you, do you like
0: going to the grocery store?
1: No, I hate it because there's peanut butter cups there, and I'm going to be enticed to buy other crap that I don't need.
0: Dude, like you go to Costco, right? You walk in, you have to show them your card, then you're walking through, you have to go find the meat, you have to go pick through everything. Some of it's not that great, some of it's good. Then you have all of the samples, okay? All the samples, those damn Costco samples. Yeah, then you have, out for that. Yeah. And then you have the pizza, the Polish dogs, all that crap. It just gets, it's it's difficult. It I love time. Uh, not having to deal with that. I just
1: come home from a hard day of training, yeah, and- a uh, tomahawk ribeye is sitting on my doorstep, or a uh, a fillet, you know, something like that, just sitting there right at my doorstep. I didn't have to even think about it; I didn't have to waste my time going to the grocery store.
2: Perfect, and that's how simple it is. Our friends at Piedmontese you don't have to deal with any of the the uh, you know grocery issues, waiting in line all day long. They deliver it right to your doorstep, and they deliver uh, steaks that are from those jacked cows, you know, like the ones that are like in a uh, bigger, stronger, faster. Um, just oh. like in SEMA, they claim natty. Believe it or not. I know. It's crazy. Right.
1: Those cows are. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you
2: guys got to get in on this. Head over to piedmontese.com. That's P-I-E-D-M-O-N-T-E-S-E.com at checkout. Enter promo code POWER PROJECT for 25% off your order. And if your order is $99 or more, you get free two-day shipping.
1: Yo, yo. That's you. Oh, that's me. That is
2: you. Hey, everybody. So we we brought Phil back. So Insima and, and I had a conversation with him when you were out of town. But we really want to get into training on how to do like better shoulder throws, uh, you know, like whatever we can do to set that up a little bit better. Yeah. So that's what we're hoping to, you know, get out of today. But we can make that happen. <laughs> Dude, Maybe not as good as Connor, but we can make it happen. So you banged
1: yourself
3: up over here doing some jujitsu. What happened? Yeah. So I tore my ACL. Shit, Complete tear. Complete Have you torn ACL. anything before? Um, no, not that I know of. So you, haven't, the first ne- time. you haven't needed a surgery before. I had a hernia surgery Umbilical And then um, Probably I think I broke my arm When I was a kid Yeah That's it So Nothing Nothing too crazy Believe it or not Eight years of pro fighting And now That I'm not fighting I get An ACL tear so walk me through uh what it looked like so you you tore your acl
1: and mm-hmm. then i'm sure right away you're probably communicating with three or four of your colleagues and saying hey yeah. what should we do with this thing how do i re- how do i repair it how do i recover from this
3: yeah so automatically you go into like coaching mode and like okay what do i need to do to get this already <laughs> All ready right. to go so being proactive you know thinking about it, and i talked to my physical therapist christiana marin um and she basically was telling me well Let's just get it stronger, you know, and let's just work on it. The, the, the great thing about, you know, what happened was that now I get to understand the injury a little bit more. Mm. So with all my athletes now, I can have that more deeper knowledge from what they go through, you know. But and that's the same thing with fighting. You know, when I, when I fought for eight years now, I can understand what they go through from a cutting weight perspective to the, to the whole camp itself. So, yeah, the great thing there was that my hamstrings saved me a little bit. You know, mm. my strength there saved me the the strength in my legs. Um, So that was the one thing that I could really say to the the athletes now is that, you know, with that strength that I had, it allowed me not to have too much damage to where now, you know, it's not going to take me too long. It's not going to take me a year. It won't take me, you know, a year and a half. It'll take me six months, you know, at the most, hopefully. But I think that we'll be able to do that because I am being proactive. I'm working on stability, mobility, and I'm increasing the strength there in the surrounding tissue.
1: What about, you know, there's some theories that, like, when you injure one side, you can still train the other and uh, you get a training effect? Uh, have you seen, seen anything like that or you experienced that yourself?
3: I actually have. Um, you know, with me, I'm still training. I'm still doing work on this knee anyway. So we did some squats there and I did some uh, blood flow restriction training. also did just single, la- single leg unilateral work and, you know, loading it in ipsilateral unilateral work. And what I'm seeing now is that I'm actually having still hypertrophy effects in both legs even if it's unilateral, whatever the case may be. And I'm also doing a lot of isometric tension work too as well. Um, eccentric neural grooving, basically what I'm doing is I'm pulling into to position of a squat, right? I'm using the antagonistic muscle. I'm pulling myself down and I'm driving up. And what that's doing is that's enhancing the strength and stability around the tissue. Then I'm also doing what's called iso-ramping, whereas basically I'm giving my the surrounding tissue, whether it be my BMO, my lateralis. I'm putting an external stimulus onto the muscle, and then I'm working in that to help the range of motion in that muscle, and that's help, been helping a lot.
0: What exactly is that external stimulus, by the way? Like,
3: Just like could be could be anything, like a uh, lacrosse ball or something along the lines of that. Gotcha. Yeah. So I'll, I'll place a lacrosse ball, let's say, on the VMO. I'll lay onto the VMO. I'll relax the tissue, and then I'll go ahead and contract ramping up into an isometric tension could potentially have like a Mark pro on or one mm-hmm. of those devices or something like that. Right. would, yeah, that'd be cool. Be similar, right. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean a lot of people don't really have the, the ability to get that. But right. Right. For right. sure. Yeah. would be yeah.
0: good. Mm-hmm. How about any of those um for that actually, that specific thing, do percussive massagers work well for that at all or no?
3: Yeah. I mean, you're looking at it from a stimulus perspective. So at the end of the day, I'm just trying to downregulate nociceptors. Yeah. Right. So with that, yeah. Those types of those types of devices, may yeah. work. And same thing when you're doing a foam rolling technique, right? If I'm going and I'm feeling tight and stiff, right, you can go foam roll it for about you know ten to fifteen seconds. Just get the stimulus, and then work into the range of motion. I'm not going to stand there or sit there on a foam roller for thirty minutes just to go ahead and squat. What I want to do is I want to get the stimulus, help with opening up the range, and then work into the movement. Got it. How do you help get people strong? Like from a real general
1: perspective, you, you mainly deal with a lot of fighters. You said 85 fighters. That's, that's a lot of work right there. But, yeah. um, and I realize it depends on their level, but like walk us through the process a little bit of like, what, what is, what are you trying to stimulate when you're trying to get somebody to be strong?
3: Well, it really depends on the person too, as well. Like what, what, what are their weaknesses? And with my fighters, a lot of the times, first we have to have the proper prerequisites, the joint prerequisites to do, get underneath load. So for me, I'm looking at it from the assessment standpoint. I want to see movement quality. Yeah, if you can't move well, then it's gonna be, yeah, a lot different. It's gonna look a lot different than
1: somebody that can move really well right off the bat, right?
3: Yeah, and you can't stimulate the muscle that needs to be done or fired appropriately to get that force adaptation. So for me, like first and foremost, we want to get quality movement, mobility, active range control, and then from there, we can load the uh, the particular joint and the particular movement. But what I would do is usually I run a condensed conjugate method where we do eight weeks out is usually when they start camp. And then from there, I'll go ahead and I'll run them, uh, run an assessment or run a test to see, you know, how well they can uh, take, they can take to that stimulus and whether it be a compound lift, let's say I do a lot of zercher squats because my guys they can't just can't get into that external rotation; they don't have the joint prerequisites. Mm-hmm. So we're going to utilize an exercise that has the efficiency or the efficiency there and it's effective. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things. There's progressive overload to a degree, but I'm also just stimulating that force production throughout each week because again, we don't have a whole lot of time.
1: Yeah, you need a little mix of uh, of things too, right? Because you have, you know, you're trying to you're trying to kind of tune up the central nervous system, but mm-hmm. in addition to that. You, you want to try to have people pack on a little bit of size in some cases. Right. And so you might have to attack things from many different angles. And what mm-hmm. I find unique about your job is a lot of times you have to keep someone in a certain weight class yeah, uh, or have someone even drop weight, yep. you know? So now they're trying to get stronger, mm-hmm. which is normally associated with putting on a little bit more mass, at least as far as it pertains to like lifting weights and stuff. Yep. And so, uh, you have to chase after many things at one time, which sounds, which sounds very difficult.
3: Yeah, it, it almost sounds kind of productive in a way, right? Um, but so that's why the assessment becomes uh, a true a true hit point for me because at the end of the day, we want to find out, are they stronger than they are fast or faster than they are strong? And from there, we can use things like uh, reactive strength index, the dynamic strength index. I've also been using a split test off a sprint, 10 to 20-yard sprint, and that's going to actually show me you know, if they need more force production, if they need more speed or they need more power. And that's that's what I got off of Cal Dietz mm-hmm. um, in triphasic training. So we've been working through that and actually been doing that with uh, with Yoni on Jacek right now. Uh, we ran her through a 20 meter or a 20 yard sprint test. And what it showed, you know, surprisingly, that she needed more speed than she actually needed more force production. So with that, we're doing a two week block of just speed work for so hyperspeed and a little bit of uh, a little bit of strength speed there, too, as well. Um, And I'm also running it through a condensed model. So the condensed conjugate that I do already, I'm putting it into place with that speed, you know, category in a way. Right. Because that focus point is to get her faster right now.
1: Is there a way for somebody to be able to, like, kind of test themselves like they're listening to this right now and they're kind of like, yeah, they want to know, like, yeah, how could I learn whether I need to be more strong or more fast?
3: Yeah. So I would definitely run a dynamic speed index or a reactive strength index. And what that's going to do is that's just going to show you how well they can basically, uh, you know, redirect force. Right. So you can do a jump mat test. You can show, okay, do I want to increase my speed through dynamic movements or do I need to increase my force production through isometric tension or something along the lines of that? You can also do a a mid thigh pull in isometric. Again, it's going to take you a little bit of equipment right you're going to need probably something like a uh, if you wanted to rig it up you can do a crane scale and rig that up to a plate put it connect it to the barbell and then you would pull into that plate and you would see the exact loading parameters that you can actually pull from an isometric tension standpoint and then you just plug it into
0: the uh, to the calculator and would that be the simplest thing an individual would do or is there even something that is even more simple that like a listener could do to figure that out
3: So I like to use velocity-based trainers, and I know that's probably not the simplest thing, but, I mean, VBT monitors for me are very important, you know, Mm -hmm. because I'm actually trying to figure out, I'm gauging the stimulus based off of that, right?
1: So you wouldn't be able to necessarily tell just by how fast someone gets up off the ground or something like that?
3: That's pretty tough. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you can also look and and have an eye for it, too, as well. I mean, especially if you're a, you know, a coach that's been in the game for a long time, you know, like Louie says it all the time, you can see if you're faster than you're strong. and. From there, you know, but I, I like to use it in the beginning just to see, okay, well, how fast are they moving this barbell at a certain percentage range, right? right? So if they are moving it, let's say that they're moving 85% at the predicted range that they need to from a meters per second standpoint, well, then that's good. But if they're moving it slower, they still can lift it. Well, obviously, we know we need to move a little bit faster. We need to increase that speed the athletes probably respond
1: really well to the the technology, right? They probably, uh, like they're getting that immediate feedback, you know, like they don't, I mean, they still might say, how am I doing coach, but they almost don't even need to when they see it and they start to learn it and you're starting to, you know, give them positive reinforcement. Uh, it probably makes every rep and every workout a little bit more productive.
3: Yeah, I mean, when you have that metrics there, it also helps with the coaches, too. You know, with the skills coaches, it kind of helps them buy into the situation. Um, but, yeah, so the, the, the athletes do like to see the numbers go up. Um, but primarily what they're really worried about and what they really want is to see them increase their performance inside the cage or, you know, on the mats. And that's really a good thing when you can see it from a real-world perspective in a sports-specific realm. But, yeah, definitely with the numbers, they kind of compete, you know, a lot with that. And you see the numbers go up. And I have to kind of pull them back a little bit because, again, we had the VBT monitor on there. You don't want technique to go out the window because they're trying to blast it up and get a better score, right? So coaching becomes a big issue too. So as well,
2: in regards to that, like to trying to kind of like, hey, pump your brakes. Like, how often are you having them actually run these tests?
3: Um, so for instance, like for the speed, the sprint work, we do about every two to three weeks, right? Now, as as far as like, let's say for instance, I'm trying to see where their force production lies, we can do that every four weeks. And usually it's going to be something that is an indicator lift, whether it be a zercher squat, whether it be a sumo deadlift, a trap bar deadlift, something along the lines of that.
2: And then, so do they ever like uh, any of the athletes be like, "Nah, no, no, like I need to retake the test because like I didn't sleep last night or something yeah. like that." Oh, they're always coming up with excuses. Okay, <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, there's always something. I just sparred today. No, you didn't. I seen you today. <laughs> you're lying. So there's always something. But um, yeah, like we do like a beep test for you know just measuring out their VO2 max. And they'll say like, oh, no, I have my shoes on the right way or something or something like that, you know. And uh, but, you know, you want to keep it as consistent with the testing as possible, obviously. And you want to keep it in the same, um, you know, whether it be, you know, on the track, on the turf or something along that. You make sure that wherever you're testing at, you're
0: obviously putting the protocols together for that particular, you know, surface area. You know, let's say that there's a. Someone listening, they're like a a weaker jujitsu guy or a weaker boxer, just martial artists in general, right? I know that every martial art has its specificity because you kind of answered this question in the last podcast. But if they don't have access to a coach, um, what can they like? What's a, what are some general training concepts that Mm -hmm. they should keep in mind as they're trying to get bigger and stronger for their martial art? So first and
3: foremost, keep mobility, right? Keep mobility, keep range of motion. So you want to work through full ranges of motion. You want to work on your active end range control, right? And then from there, you can start to load several different movement patterns to help get stronger in those ranges, especially when you're talking about BJJ. Mm-hmm. You know, there's you're going to be contorted in all these different ranges of motion. So different planes of action is going to be key. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you know, just progressive overload. That's all you really need in that perspective because… At the end of the day, anything that they do because it's a new it's, it's a new stimulus to them, they're going to get stronger. Yeah, right. So, but we only want to what we want to do is make sure that we are mitigating the injury risk, and we're also reducing the risk of fatigue because mm-hmm. they are doing all those other demands of the sport. Okay, how much lifting
1: are we actually talking about? You know, uh, let's say someone's in camp and they yeah. they have a fight, you know, twelve weeks out or something like that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they're you know midway through the camp or so, like. Uh, are these guys training three times a week and doing five exercises every time? Are they training five times a week? What, what, what's the protocol look like in terms sure. of actual lifting weights?
3: Yeah. So it really depends on the individual, too. Um, it depends on how much skills training they're actually doing. And it also depends on their experience level. So my higher, I, I work with a lot of elite fighters. So at the end of the day, they know how to throw a punch. They know how to get punched. So for them, really getting in the weight room and actually working on their structural integrity, their balance, their control, their athleticism is more of an importance You know, outside of camp. Once they get into camp, now we're working on the specifics of the sport. We're working on those specific ranges of motion and those planes of motion of, of training that are going to correlate over to the fight. Usually we start a camp about eight weeks out. That's when they come, whether they are traveling to American Top Team, you know, some of them don't live there. So they come to us about 8 weeks out hopefully they developed a solid base of general physical preparedness so if we do if i do have my if i had my choice they would do some type of triphasic or some type of off camp work where we're building up that structural integrity we're building up a little bit of hypertrophy you know and uh, just tissue remodeling in general so that we can have efficient movement under load and then from there i'll go into the condensed model which is basically the conjugate style is 2 days a week and that's why it's condensed because it is 2 days a week and you will know this a lot, Mark. So basically, and I asked Louie about this, too, when I went out to Westside. And he was like, "That's great. It's mm-hmm. perfect. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, good. I'm on the right track. But the thing was is that I needed to have enough time to get all these aspects taken care of. And we even run a, a concurrent style of an aerobic system based because, again, they're training multiple bioenergetic demands every day. So what I do is on, let's say, for instance, my first day is Tuesday. That's a That's a sparring day. Because Monday is a hard wrestling session, so they're they're wrestling, they're they're getting their work in. It's a lot of lactic work, so it's hard for me to get them in the weight room after that. So Tuesday we go ahead, we get in the weight room, and they'll go ahead and do some dynamic upper, and they'll do max effort lower. And what we'll do is I'll just work through the speed ranges depending on you know where where they uh, where their strengths lie, whether it be they need more speed or more more strength. And uh, the lower body lifts will be depending upon either be singles, doubles, or triples. And if they're getting closer to the fight, it would be maximal isometrics because I want to make sure that we're mitigating the risk of injury there. And then it's just flip-flopped 72 hours. Friday, we go ahead and we do max effort upper, dynamic lower. And then, again, with the su- supplemental lift, we'll do su- one supplemental lift based upon the max effort lift. Then I'll do two, ex- two accessories, and then we'll go into a energy system training where it's actually mixed or basically integrated into the energy that we're utilizing inside the weight room so let's say for instance we're doing some type of alactic capacity type training inside the weight room so we're not throwing the organism in two different directions that makes sense? It does yeah Yeah. now
0: you know I know not every single fighter that you're working with is not all of them are getting ready for a fight at the same time, mm-hmm. but you work with 80 to 85 fighters. And mm-hmm. when someone that works with people in person hears that, they're probably wondering how the hell does he organize yeah. all of these different training programs, all of these different structures. What kind of systems have you built to be yeah. able to do that successful? So you have to have a system because if not, then I'm trying to do too many
3: things at once. Right. Like So I do have an off camp program and I do have an in camp program. And then is the, the in camp and the off camp are based around the subjective, you know, measures of the athlete. Right. So, I'm going to have a basic layout, right? And then I just plug and paste depending on the person, right? So if this person needs more speed, right, then we just work in the max effort. We work more strength speed. We'll work more sub-maximal lifts. But we'll still get the work in because I still want them to increase their force production. They just may need a little bit more velocity, right?
1: What do you think of uh, Joe Rogan has talked on his podcast quite a bit about uh, bigger guys, you know, jacked yeah, guys yeah. getting exhausted. Like a guy like in
3: SEMA, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. he would just, and SEMA did good though. We did a conditioning <laughs> and he did pretty good.
1: Yeah, no, he's got, he's, that's kind of what I pointed him out. He's, yeah. he's got, he's got good lungs, but mm-hmm. I know there's always rare case. There's always like a mutant yeah. out there that can be jacked and figure it all out. But yep, yep. what are some of your thoughts on that of, of being like, uh, of having a lot of muscle mass? Mm-hmm. I mean, the muscles, an organism that chews up a lot of energy. So yeah. what are
3: some of your thoughts on that? I mean, as long as you have a large aerobic base and you can take in and utilize oxygen efficiently and you got to train it, too. It's not just like, you know, he's he's naturally gifted with a lot of muscle. Yeah, well, we don't know. Ah, uh, Yeah, you're right. You're right. So we look in his cabinet right now. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Check that fanny pack. That's it, man. <laughs> Yeah, so like like with that, you know, you're looking at it from a base aerobic capacity standpoint. So if he has a large VO2, depending on how big he is, it really doesn't matter at that point because he can take in oxygen more efficiently, and that's going to help buffer out lactate. So with that, I'm looking at that, and that's what the assessment would would dictate too as well. I got a lot of guys, bigger guys. Cain Velasquez is a heavyweight, and he had a large aerobic gas tank, but like he he could go for a long time. He, junior told me <laughs> he's like, man, I don't even know. I think he was on EPO. Right,
1: yeah, yeah, he was wow. he was insane with his uh, conditioning, but he also
3: didn't have a lot of muscle, though. He was a big yeah, that's guy. That's true. That's very a true. A big guy. Very true. But yeah.
1: he wasn't like overly muscular. I mean,
3: even like Sean Shirk back in the day. You remember him, right? Yeah. The Muscle Shark. Like, I mean, the guy. The <laughs> guy had insane amount of muscle, but you know he could definitely. Who did he
1: throw around the cage like a madman? Who was that? I think like everybody. He, yeah, he that's actually true. Fought. He took you know, somebody, though, and he dumped him like 11 times yeah. in, one,
3: in one round. And I don't yeah. think
1: anybody's done anything like that since yeah. he just was ragdolling mm-hmm. him the whole time.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that just is a testament to, one, his natural ability and his ability. You know, a, a large amount plays with genetics, too, as well. Mm-hmm. Some people have a genetic predisposition to have a better gas tank. You know, look at Colby Covington, for instance, is a guy at American Top Teams. The guy, I mean, he, he trains hard, don't get me wrong, but he's been naturally gifted with a larger aerobic cast tank. So, yeah,
1: I guess uh, Bo Jackson was like that when mm-hmm. he was at Alabama or at Auburn. <laughs> That's a huge mistake right there. He was at when he was at <laughs> Auburn, uh, he uh, his coaches, you know, they had everybody running and everything. And he's like running for people that are out of shape. Yeah, yeah And it's like Well don't you need to run To get in shape He was yeah. like No, nah, I'm good yeah, yeah Like come game day Give me the ball And I'll take off with it He yeah. was like I didn't Naturally need all that Naturally gifted yeah. Yeah. Naturally
3: gifted for sure I, I mean for us Like a lot of my guys Like to run they like to do their aerobic work just because it's, it's more of a, it's more of a mental thing for them. You know, it, it's restorative work too, as well. But mentally, they like to recharge the batteries a little bit there. You know, I, I can't stop Dustin Poirier from going and doing his long distance running, even though he's predominantly slow twitch and we need to get him in the weight room and we need to work on that fast twitch fiber recruitment and things like that. But I'm not going to stop him from doing what he loves to do just for that particular reason. I'll make sure that I, you know, I reduce it a little bit, but obviously I'm not going to totally stop it.
1: I love that side of coaching. You know, you have to kind of weigh in on the things that you value and the things you feel are important. Mm -hmm. But then you also need to be open to like, wow. That guy just loves doing that as much as I fucking hate it and much as it goes against everything I've ever learned. uh, You know, I got to make I gotta squeeze room in for
3: it because he thinks
1: that's going to help him. And if he thinks it's going to help him, it's going to help him.
3: Yeah. And that's comes with like the art of coaching in a way. (laughs) You know what I mean? And communication is key. And the first time I've worked with Dustin, he was telling me he's like, man, I'm not going to stop running. So I don't care what you say. (laughs) I was like, all right. So we gotta fit this in somehow. Like, all right, we're gonna fight over it. Yeah, basic. Well <laughs> shit. <laughs> Come on, <with> that man. <laughs> yeah. We do we do play fight, but I ain't doing that. <laughs> um but yeah, so he's 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 one of those guys that, you know, he has to do a certain thing and it's that's that's fine. You know, fighters have that, you know, and they're different individuals. They're different than other athletes in mm-hmm. a way. And they're they're very like um routine like, mm-hmm. you know, and whatever's gonna help them mentally And psychologically get into that cage and do what they need to do, then I'm all for it. You know, it's a give and take in a coaching realm.
2: Yeah. You said that like letting them run. It was almost like a mental thing, too. Is there any other like tricks or any kind of like uh, movements or anything that you will tell a certain person like, hey, you need to go clear your head. Go do this.
3: Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is is the that long distance running, yeah. believe it or not, or a swim or something okay. like that. Or I'll tell, like for instance, for Dustin, I will tell him to go, just go to the beach and play with your daughter and your wife and have fun. And a lot of times, you know, that clears his mind. He comes back rejuvenated because have in in camp and just as a fighter, you're always training. You're training year round. So going in there and going in there each and every day, the same gym, the same training partners, same coaches. You know, it gets tough, you know, and you don't really want to you want to take a break for a second mm-hmm. and just recharge your batteries. And that's usually what I have him do.
2: Yeah, I feel like maybe like bodybuilding coaches will have like a similar like concept when they're, you know, like what you guys told me, like you're, you're just you're stressed out. You look fine. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, I look like shit. And then Mark's like, dude, you're in your own head. Like, just yeah. go play with your dog. He literally told me the exact same thing. Yeah. And he's totally right. Yes, yeah. so that's that's fucking that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Parallel. You got you got no off
1: season, huh? Never And these guys You know They get paid to fight So A fight comes up And then also like You don't want to be like Ducking people And be like Nah man I'm not You know I need another six months Or whatever right And so that makes it very difficult But Mm -hmm. Because even if you're Let's say you're maybe not As strong as you should be For your weight class Mm -hmm. It might be hard
3: to develop uh, Some of those attributes While you're always training For a fight right Mm -hmm. Yeah I mean we get guys that have take fights on short notice, and that's the reason why I developed the condensed conjugate model, so they can always be ready. You know, if they're closer to the fight, let's say three to four weeks out, then we're going to start working more of that velocity range depending on if they need more strength or speed again. Um, but, you know, we do a two-week taper, and we make sure that the weight cut's going appropriately, making sure that their weight is down because that's going to play a major role, especially when you're talking about CNS activation and, and just recovery, you know, because their caloric intake is down, and they're also – you know for for most parts they're training a lot so they're training a lot without getting a lot of calories in and a lot of times they're probably bringing down the carbs too luckily we have like guys like george lockhart that helps us out too as well and george has been a tremendous help for me too with george
1: george is amazing he like came to our gym and like wrote this giant formula out on the (laughs) yeah yeah fucking board so (laughs) and he like forgot how he got to all these numbers he's like this is 16 divided by this and i'm like okay hold on how'd you get to that number he's like i He's like I fucking forget And he's going on like, <laughs> <laughs> He's like this
3: is just the way it is though Yeah so in his, in his seminars I was there in Miami when he held one He usually holds one in like an AirBnB and I'm like, and I'm like, he's like, come down, man. Like, I'm here in Miami. I was like, yeah, perfect. I'll come through. And, uh, he don't even have like a fucking whiteboard. He just has like a big sheet of paper and mm-hmm. he writes it down and then like, he's like, da 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 da. And then he's like,
2: flips you see? the page. Yeah, flips the page. <laughs>
3: blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, man, this guy's crazy, but it works, you know, and I've seen it work time and time again. I love that he's got, uh, I mean, so, you know, sometimes
1: he's got stuff like that, but he also is very simple. When I asked him on the podcast about, you know, uh, like having a certain carbohydrate post-workout, like having, say, like uh, orange juice or something, which is fructose and fructose will, uh, you know, put glycogen into mm-hmm. your liver rather mm-hmm. than like uh, maybe into your muscles. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, you know, cause he was recommending orange juice post-workout and I was mm-hmm. like, well, that sounds a little uh, different from things I've heard. Yeah. He said, well, I just believe the human body's going to do whatever it needs to do. And if in and, and post-workout it's going to need carbohydrate, so Dude. it's going to still put it into the muscles. And, and I it was just it. like, that's, that sounds reasonable. Like that sounds like
3: it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. They've been doing it and and it works a lot with, uh, with Stan too, as well. Yeah, The Rhino. Yeah. So like, and I know they did the, uh, the 40 milligrams of caffeine too, as well for the reabsorption of glycogen into the, into the muscle. Right. right? So I was like, all right, well, cool. So like, and then, and then he's telling me, you know, we need this creatine. We need branch change. We need caffeine and we need uh, glucose. So we need dextrose or any type of branch cyclic dextrin that's going to be quick. Right. And then, um, you know, he was telling me, all right, we need three leaders and we do the three leaders and there's like a, 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 a like a minute, detailed out approach <laughs> of like what you need. And, and it's like, man, this is a lot. Like, yeah. This is different than what we usually do. Let's get some light and call it a day. <laughs> yeah. So there's a different approach there. And it's and it's spot on in a way. And I got a I got a young guy, um, Eric Pena, who's been working with a lot of fighters now. Mm. And he's kind of taking over for George. And he was actually my intern. So it was actually cool to see him. He's just been he just finished um he's worked with Connor,
0: he's worked with a bunch of guys, so it's cool. You know, when you look at uh, fighters, obviously fighters in camp and even outside of training camp, they're doing so many different types of martial arts and lifting. Like they need to eat an excessive amount of carbohydrates yeah. to be able to keep healed. Mm-hmm. Now, I I'm, I'm saying that because I'm wondering what type of athletes do you think when you look at strength training or bodybuilding or whatever, what type of athletes do you think they don't need an excessive amount of carbohydrates? The reason why I ask mm-hmm. is because there's a lot of power lifters who are like, Oh yeah, I need all these. I need, I need to eat this and this and this Very so true. I can perform bodybuilders. I need to eat this and this and this so I can perform. Yeah. But it really seems like they don't need No,
3: nah, not not too much unless they're doing a whole lot of volume, right? Yeah. Unless they're on like maybe in an off season or looking to bulk up or something along the lines of that or in a volume phase or hypertrophy phase. In my opinion, you really don't because you got to look at the energy system is primarily creatine phosphate, right? So for that, I wouldn't do as many. And I think, Mark, you've done the ketogenic diet. How do yeah. you feel on mm-hmm. that? Yeah, I feel awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like I've even done intermittent fasting and hit PRs. You know, so th- I mean, really, you have to outweigh the options of, OK, well, maybe if you're looking at a marathon runner, then probably, yes, they're going to need some some carbohydrates. If you're looking at somebody like a bodybuilder who's doing massive amount of volume, um, then, yes, you're going to need some when you're talking about MMA, definitely going to need some. Right. When you're talking about powerlifting and you're talking about, you know, getting into the max phases. Probably don't need it, only probably going to need it just for muscle recovery after their accessory work or something along the lines of that. But I wouldn't go too crazy with it.
1: And it's super important for any athlete that uh, has to train multiple times a day Mm -hmm. or has the energy output to get those carbohydrates in because it can help you recover from each workout. So if you have a workout in the morning and you have carbs right after that first workout kind of from a you know the way it looks on paper mm-hmm. it's supposed to kind of help you you know get glycogen back into the muscles mm-hmm. help you repair a little bit faster and help you have enough energy and strength uh for the, the next, next workout, workout you know yeah, for which sure. is all stuff you know it, the cool thing about nutrition that i i think is really fascinating is it's actually very new like it really hasn't been you we haven't been like trying to eat the foods that we've been trying to eat in the scenario that we have today yeah. uh, as we used to. You know, people, you know, a thousand You know, thousand years ago, they, they might have died very young, you know, yeah. and people will point to that and they'll be like, oh, it's, you know, because they ate meat or whatever. But <clears throat> they died for a lot of other different reasons. Yeah. And we don't have those same reasons anymore because we have some modern medicine around that can help antibiotics and different things like that. And so I feel like the stage that we're at now, this is the kind of the first time, where we get some uh, real-time... Like, we're going to figure out what happens to the vegans. We'll figure yeah. out what happens to the carnivores because back then, they would die before they could figure out what happened, before yeah. the onset of cancer, before... Yeah. You know, they weren't 85. Right. So we're going to we'll find out more, you know, as we continue to go along here.
3: Yeah, it's an interesting time in the fitness industry, give or take. And with nutrition, everything's always evolving. There's always new studies out, you know, Um, you know, before there was like fats were bad. Now carbs are bad and this and that. And now, you know, full meat diet and vegan diet. There's just so much going on. There's contrast. There's contrast everywhere. Everybody has their views. But only time will tell if something actually is really going to work and what's detrimental and what's what's
2: going to be good for somebody. Speaking of an interesting time in the fitness industry, what was it like at the uh, Fit Expo?
3: <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's that's different. That's yeah, different. that's yeah. the first time I've been out there. So it's like a madhouse. I'm seeing a lot of like trendy, like, uh, you know, crazy stuff that I'm like, what the hell is that? Like, <laughs> I seen somebody walking on springs like, oh, yeah, like yeah, they yeah. looked like rollerblades, but they were like springs. It looked like a. It, was, Mar- it looked like they were in the Mario Brothers. It was
2: definitely like an out of shape dude, right? It was actually like <laughs> some.
3: Yeah, it was like an like a 50 year old female. I'm not. Yeah, gonna, no. I was like, okay, this it, is. It's never
2: a dude. Different. It's always a chick in, in yeah. tights. Yeah. And, we they, they're always just like bouncing around, looking like they're having a mm, bunch of fun. But it's yeah.
3: like it's just like gimmicky mm-hmm. type deal, and I'm like, this is really real. This because I'm not in that world. I really don't do a whole lot of that. Like, I'm I'm in an MMA gym or I'm in a powerlifting gym or something along the line. I'm not in that fitness world. So, seeing that actually, this really is real, like, it's mind blowing to me in a little ways. Yeah.
0: As far as like uh, tools that I, I think I asked you this before, too, but are there any outside tools that you use for your athletes in terms of recovery other than the obvious sleep, you know, all of that stuff? Are there any outside tools that you use for them?
3: Yeah. I mean, nothing, I'm going to say it again. Nothing beats sleep and nutrition. Yeah. Right. So that's first and foremost. I have to make sure that those guys are getting adequate sleep because they're training so much. And then you got to think of these guys also have families. You know, they got kids. A lot of my fighters just had newborn babies. So, and they're in camp. So there's a lot going on there. And Mark, you probably know about that. Yeah. Right. So do I. And it sucks, right? And, you know, but yeah, if you, if you're talking about, you know, just standard things like an ice bath, you know, we do contrast training yeah. or contrast baths too as well. Um, as far as like, you know. We do heat in contrast with that. I don't really do too much other than that. Really, okay. I don't. Myofascial release treatments, stuff like that. Do some massage here and there. Yeah. Once they're in camp, that's definitely going to be more of an importance. When they're out of camp, we kind of limit the uh, the ice baths just for the hypertrophy benefit. Mm-hmm. right? But other than that, I don't really do too much there. Got it.
1: What's a uh, triphasic? You mentioned that earlier and you mentioned Cal Dietz and we're mm. going to have Cal on the podcast oh, yeah. uh, in a few weeks, I think. Nice. Uh, what's
3: triphasic mean? So basically triphasic is the three parts of a movement, right? You got the isometric, the eccentric and the concentric. And basically what you're doing is you're spending two weeks of each phase of that particular lift, whether it be a squat, bench press, whatever the case. But the goal really is, is to increase The neural capacity increase, the technical efficiency of the lift, and also increase a little bit of hypertrophy. Basically, it's a baseline approach to getting the athlete ready for an in camp or an M season program. Yeah, I think that's one of
1: the most uh, like least understood thing about training in general is that before you go and do anything, you need to make sure that you're prepared for it. Yeah, and you need to kind of you know go. You need to go from one phase to another, Mm -hmm. and it's a very it's a very gradual thing. Like it might take you. If somebody might see a program and it might be like German volume training mm-hmm. or something, ten sets of ten, and yeah. yeah, that's not a great thing. It's not really wise to, although it's kind of cool to just try shit out when you're young, but yeah. it's not a great thing to like jump yeah. into. You, mm-hmm. you you better get your volume in order and get everything uh, in order before you get there, so mm-hmm. that you actually get a
3: real benefit from it, yeah. rather than just getting really sore and beat yeah, up, getting from wrecked, it. and and then they can't train the other aspects of the training. So yeah, and that and that's and that's one thing that like. A lot of the guys come in and I have to ease them in and they're doing things that are, you know, we're, we're keeping them in the same group. Like I said, the system is there, but the, the tempo, the amount of reps, right, the amount of volume or the amount of uh, the intensity is going to change depending on if the individual is ready or not. So, yeah, I mean, it is very important to one, get the joint prerequisites in, in order and then two make sure that the muscles are ready to withstand that load under that amount of volume.
1: And with your uh, injury, we have a lot of people that ask about, like, rehabilitation, and I Mm -hmm. understand it would matter, you know, the person and different things of that nature. But um, have you utilized, you mentioned a little bit about isometrics earlier Mm -hmm. to help people uh, rehab and recover from stuff. Um, And then in addition to that, uh, what about, like,
3: eccentrics?
1: And, like, what would it look like? Somebody has a really jacked-up elbow or Mm -hmm. jacked-up shoulder. Mm -hmm. What would some of the progressions look
3: like? It would have to depend on the the injury, first and foremost. Like, for me, I've had tendinopathy in my elbows just from lifting, you know, elbow tendinitis, medial epicondylitis, things like that. And for that, isometrics has been a major part of that. Also, heat and um, compression.
1: So in that example, what what kind of isometrics are we talking about, and, and do you have weight on the bar? Like, yeah. what is it? What, yeah, you can either
3: like? do yielding or overcoming isometrics. So basically, yielding would be stopping at that range of motion, whether it be a ninety degree position, or you can push into an immovable object, mm-hmm. right? And I would do a slow ramp up from about fifty percent to one hundred percent. And then also you want to improve on the range of motion and articulation of the joint capsule. So we're actually gaining that range. I'll be working through controlled articular rotations of the elbow. And uh, you can also do pails and rails, progressive and regressive angular isometrics through that too as well. So that's been helping out a lot because it's going to downregulate those nociceptors and help you increase you know, that mechanical response to, uh, to basically move the weight and uh, not be feeling like shit.
0: Okay. Now, let me ask you this. In terms of... Um, Because, again, for individuals that don't have access to a coach, uh, and there's two kind of athletes I want to ask about here. Powerlifters or or strength athletes, and let's say that they're they're in-gym powerlifters, they're not always getting ready for competition. Because I know if you're getting ready for competition, you're not going to be doing an excessive amount of cardio. But a lot of powerlifters want to increase their gas tank a little bit. They want to feel better. They don't want to feel, you know, tired walking up a flight of stairs. Right. So that type of athlete, and then also uh, a jujitsu athlete that, you know, they train at jujitsu and they also want to increase their gas tank. Mm -hmm. What are some things that they can implement now that. This is for you. This is all you. This no, is for him. No, this that does this, his like question. It. Like I mean, that's that's exactly sh- his question. Outside, outside out of training, <laughs> outside of training, what what can they do? You know, whether it's uh, you know, biking or whatever. What what yeah. can they do to increase the gas? So, so. I
3: do like. The fact that, one, with a power lifter, you have to maintain your fast switch fiber. Mm -hmm. So there is a method that Pavel actually, you know, made up or I should say incorporated into his training. Pavel Satsui. Yeah. And uh, the quick and D method, I utilize that a lot with my fighters, believe it or not. And basically Mm -hmm. what that is, is that's just going to increase the mitochondrial density of fast switch fibers. So it's repeated efforts. Right. So you're doing, let's say, for instance, a 10, 10 repetition kettlebell swing. Mm -hmm. You're waiting. You know, every minute on the minute, you'll do 10 reps, and then you would do that for around 10 rounds, right? So what you're doing is you're still getting explosive power, and you're getting the ability to repeat outs of energy. Every minute on the minute, you're doing 10 reps. 10 right? reps, okay. Yep. Yep. You keep it at 10 reps. We found that, like, you know, after 10 reps, it starts to slow down. So you want to still stay explosive. So if it takes you only 5 reps, and you start to slow down, then keep it at 5, and you do every 30 seconds. And are you going like a maniac, or...? I mean, you're hitting it with good technique. Yeah, you, you want to yeah. be you want to be tight. Obviously, you want to keep your brace control, sure. but going at it hard. Yeah, yeah. The speed yeah. needs to be there. So you're looking at it from if you're looking at it from a velocity perspective, of meters per second. You're looking at probably one point five to two point meters per second. That's what Andrew was
2: going to say. <laughs> Essentially, I didn't carry, I didn't carry the one, so I I, I wasn't sure. I don't. Some want of to, the numbers were off. I don't want to speak out of yeah, class. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Out of turn, I should say. Calculus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: What's uh In What's your head diet head looking out. like? Right now, since I'm not doing a whole lot of strength training, I'm just obviously pre and doing a lot of uh, – I'm actually doing a lot of primal movements too as well. Uh, right now, I'm just keeping my carbs
0: low. What do you mean by primal movements? Like
3: Movements, like as in, um, let's say, for instance, like uh, animal movements, right? Okay. Believe it or not, on the floor. A lot of stuff we do in jujitsu, right? Yeah. A lot of stuff we do to get warmed up, right? So I'm doing that. I'm doing a lot of FRC, doing a lot of mobility work. Um, I'm FRC certified. So I had a conversation with Spina. And he told me, you know, basically just keep doing what I'm doing with the articular rotations of the, and like, like it's my life, you know. Yeah. Uh, especially with my knee, because again, we want that rotation. We want to, you know, reduce inflammation going into the surgery. So I'm doing a lot of that. Um, as far as my diet goes, I'm doing like as far as supplements, omega threes. Doing a lot, I'm doing some ca- cannabinoids, so CBD is prevalent, believe it yeah. or not. And then um, fish, a lot of white fish. Um, as far as meats go, do some steak here and there you know, a little bit of chicken, um, but my carbohydrates are low, especially, you know, if I'm not training or anything like that. Fats are obviously going to be
0: dictated depending on my carbohydrate intake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know that your injury, you said it was a freak accident, right? Yeah. Because, like, you're staying on top of everything, but for individuals that are doing a martial art and they're scared, you know, they get in these positions and they're scared about their knee, what should they be doing on the outside to, I guess, um, decrease the uh, ability of that potentially happening to them?
3: You know? It's tough, man, because, again, like, like I said, my my knees are strong, my my legs are strong. Um, the reason why I guess I didn't tear everything was because I had strong hamstrings and strong quadricep muscles and just surrounding tissue was strong. Right, um, in this sport, it's very hard to re- to just stop an injury from happening. Right, we can reduce it. Or we can, you know, increase the ability to recover faster. But it's not going to happen like that. Like, yes, you want to stop non-contact injuries from happening. That should never happen. But you're getting kicked. You're getting contorted. Like, your joints are getting contorted. It's really not going to happen to that, you know. You think that you're going to totally stop it, you're in another fucking planet. Oh, yeah. You know, so. But the one thing you need to do is get strong. You need to get your hamstring strong. You need to get your quadriceps strong. You need to get stability in the lower limbs. You know, you need to get your feet mobile. You need to get your ankles mobile. And you need to get your hips mobile because, again, things will lock down if mobility is not there. It's like walking on ice, right? If you're not mobile and you start – it's just the same thing. Your body stiffens up. So with that – to say that, we need to make sure that we're gaining the active range control and we're increasing the strength in all those ranges. So that's why I like something like FRC because you're actually training that particular muscle to gain the range of motion there. You're not just passively flex – you know, working into a stretch. Yeah. What's FRC? Functional range conditioning. Mm -hmm. So basically what that is, is um, again, increasing functional movement under active control of end ranges. So we're increasing mobility, right? Flexibility is good. Mobility is better, in my opinion, right? Because it's one thing to be able to get into position. It's another to be able to actively get into the position to be strong in that position. Yeah.
2: Uh, what's it like watching some of your fighters like actually fight like we have a big fight tonight and honestly I think that was like the first thing we even started talking about when you walked in so obviously yeah. it's heavy on your mind but I just, always <laughs> I, know, I know but like yeah. can you walk us it's through like, like what it's like I mean yeah. yeah I know I'm pretty sure you get like nervous too and you mm-hmm. know but like a lot of people don't when I just like when we have somebody on the podcast like now I'm nervous to watch the fights tonight <laughs> Because like of our connection now, yeah. so I can't even imagine cool. actually working with you know a fighter like that.
3: Yeah, even though like they're older than me, some of them I feel like they're my kids. You know, <laughs> you're like man, and I've and I've I've gotten way more nervous for their fights than I did with mine. You know, sitting there watching, you know, Junior and Edson and and Dustin and Joanna and Tisha and all those people that are at this highest level, and they're working to basically change their lives and, and just catapult their careers. Yeah, it's crazy, you know, and I get the butterflies just like mm-hmm. I used to, and, you know, like tonight, Junior's got a big fight, and in a couple weeks, Ioana's got a big fight, I'll be right there, you know, cage side watching it, you know, and all, if I'm cornering, it's even worse, because now it's on me to make sure that they get everything in order. <laughs> Last week, I had a fighter, uh boxer of mine, Maureen Shea, she was a two-time, um, two-time champion, uh, IBO and WBO. Or IBA and WBO, mm-hmm. and uh, she just won her her first fight coming back in about two years, and uh, she's 39 years old. But you know, did great, phenomenal. I was like, it was like, like a like you know, I just had a newborn child. <laughs> you know, I was like, this is great. You know, so yeah, it's definitely it's nerve wracking, but it's also you know, it's something that um that I live for, man. That's why I do it. You know.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say probably a lot of passion in that too. Yeah. Um. So how's uh, fight camp been for you Anna? It's actually been really
3: well. I mean, we're only about three weeks in, but she's in good states, like good spirits. I feel this is actually one of the better camps that we've had. We've had, um, I think we've, I've had about five fights with her so far. So, I mean, actually six. So, this will be our seventh fight camp. And, um, you know, I can actually see a difference in the way she's going about training and going about just her daily life, you know. And she's happy with her life. That's the best thing. You know, she doesn't have to prove anything to anybody, so that's one thing that you know that's not weighing on her mind and her just her overall mentality. You know, coming into the training is good. Just, I'm, gonna get, oh, I'm gonna get his ass. I'm gonna get his <laughs> ass.
0: You know, if you oh, do gosh. hang out like it was a gnat from somebody. Uh, Not me. You hang out with a lot of, you you work with a lot of, (laughs) you you work with a lot of top level fighters, right? Top level competitive mindsets. And I know that every fighter is obviously different. Every fighter has a different type of process. But, you know, I think a lot of people would be interested in, maybe the through lines or the consistencies that you see from these high level athletes getting ready for competition. Like what kind of things do they do that you see often? You're like, this is something that people should be implementing all around athletes should be doing.
3: Um, you know, it's just a mindset thing, you know, yeah. they, they, they're, they're totally confident in their approach. They're confident in their abilities, you know, and with like, for instance, Joanna, she thinks, she knows that she's the best and she'll say it every day. She comes in prepared no matter what she's tunnel vision focused every time she comes to train, but she enjoys it too. And she, and she likes to do it. You know, there's a smile on her face until it's time to get to work. And she's like, yes, coach and goes. So that's one thing that I see a difference in like just your regular, regular kids that just want to train, you know? Um, but the good thing is that at American top team, all those kids are like that. Yeah. Even though ones that aren't at the elite level, our B squad is like superstars in a regular gym. Mm-hmm. So I don't really see that anymore. I see that on a constant basis. And the great thing is that I get to be around like-minded individuals because I was like that. I'm still like that to this day. I attack my coaching just like I attacked the way I did it in the, in the MMA world and how I attacked it in football and all throughout my life. How I attack business and how I attack my lifestyle of being a father. I do the same thing. So it's good to be around those people because it, it obviously lets off on you too as well.
1: What's going on with these tattoos? What we got going on here?
3: Oh, okay. This is the first time somebody's actually asked me this. <laughs> so, yeah, I know sometimes, you know, sometimes people just
1: like the design and no, just get no, something. And other, them, sometimes people a lot have of them are meaning.
3: Yeah. I have a lot of meaning. Um, this is my family crest. So I, so my great, great grandfather was a uh, general in the Napoleon army. So it, actually, um, cool. if you go to France, you go to the arc. I'm um, actually, my name is on the arc. So I went to France and got to do that. I did a seminar on France and Paris and I got to see my name out there. So shit, was cool. I don't know. You speak wow. French. oh, uh, I definitely don't. <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't then, understand shit. You said they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then like just some family stuff. You know, this is my mother. You know, my mother died. Um, I want to say f- roughly six months ago. And my father died him, before her three months prior. So Damn. it was pretty tough. It was a pretty tough year last year. It was good things and bad things, you know, and I just took it with stride. So, only the strong survive, and that's kind of story of my life. You know what I mean? What I live by came from humble beginnings. It didn't come from you know the greatest background, you know, not the best neighborhoods. So had to had to fight for everything that I have now.
1: Were your parents uh, together?
3: They, used to, they actually they actually were. You know, I was blessed with that. They were able to be together. My mm-hmm. dad worked all the time. Didn't I barely ever seen him. You know um, Just uh, managed restaurants And did what he could do And you know God bless him You know And then my mother Same thing She was a firefighter And then from there She got hurt She ended up getting uh, Developing lupus And a lot of stuff Started to go downhill From there You know Because it's an autoimmune disease Started attacking Everything in her body So I'm actually looking To get involved With a lupus foundation To help with You know Just awareness You know And that'll be launching Pretty soon Oh that's great Yeah What did your uh, dad Pass away from? he actually had a uh, he had a um uh, esophageal bleed mm. and this was sudden very sudden he had um some some issues with his stomach wasn't really saying anything he was kind of a hard headed guy mm. and uh his stomach was bloated and we could see some maybe you know maybe it was stress or something along yeah. the lines of that and then just one day I remember waking up in the morning getting a phone call from my mother and she was frantic and she sure. you know, was bleeding all over the place came in and there was blood everywhere and I kind of knew from there it was pretty much over so had to deal with that you know um had to obviously handle all of the arrangements for the funeral at the same time I had seminars I had to do two weeks prior and had you know had to coach some of my athletes and things like that after the funeral you know I had to go right to the gym and start coaching you know but this is my life you know it's what I it's what I live for.
2: Yeah. Uh, do you remember when like you were younger and you recognized that your dad was like extremely hardworking?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, he'd. Call, I, I used to wait for him every night. Every every night before he'd get home. Probably got home like one or two in the morning, and he would leave before I would get up. So I mean, there was times where I was like, "Wow," and that basically showed me how to work hard. You know, from that perspective, there's not a time I, I guarantee you. And people say this is cliche, but. I mean, Mark, you probably can get me on this one, but at the end of the day, I feel like I'm the hardest worker in the room no matter what. You know what I mean? But that's the mindset I have. And that's that's what brought me to the position where I am now. You know, and I believe things do come into play and get in order if you put yourself in the right position. You know, luck really really doesn't happen as long as you're doing the right things. You know, so... At the end, I hate when people say, Oh man, lucky for this. You know, you got all this, you got all these fighters. And I'm like, Yeah, motherfucker, I'm really lucky, huh? You weren't there when I did this for 10 years and I didn't get paid shit. And I used to sneak people into Gold's gym for $20. You didn't remember that? Or when I was, you know, fighting full time and then had to leave to go and do a midnight class and then get back up in the morning at 3 a.m. to go ahead and do another class so I can get more knowledge, you know, and then do this all over again five to six days a week. yeah, people say I
1: would kill to do that. And it's like you wouldn't even do what I'm doing for one week. You wouldn't yeah. even last. You wouldn't be able to do it. No, no. You would shoes you'd right? all of a sudden have
3: excuses. You yeah, know? yeah. And that's why I like to bring the interns over to the gym. Because they are like, Oh, I'd love to be in your shoes and do what you do. I'm like, Yeah, that I mean, yes, don't get me wrong, I love what I'm doing. And they watch you zip around and they're like, Whoa. Yeah. And they're <laughs> right? like, Man, I don't know how you do it And that's the first thing they say, they're like, I don't know how you do it And it's because I I do it every day. You know, it's 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 natural to me at this point. Do any aspects of being a father scare you
0: now? Because I didn't know you had a kid. Last I got time. three, Th- I got Whoa, three. I, I got two.
3: That. I got two teenage daughters. Get ready for that shit. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, they're my stepdaughters. I'm not that. I'm not that old yet. They're my stepdaughters, but I raised them. I raised okay. them. You know, they've been. I mean, I've raised them since day one. Was four, and the other one was six. So I mean, pretty much seen them grow up. You know, um, and my son, he's five years old. So he's like, he's like a little me. You know, I got him going. He's doing jujitsu now. He's going to wrestle. So, yeah, it's good. It's fun. Yeah, Yeah, Nothing really scares me. The only thing is like I I do am always looking to be a better father and learn. Um, But the great thing is that, you know, I have plenty of practice with coaching, Mm -hmm. you know, and I feel like if I can lead individuals in that manner, I can lead my own child to do the, the right things
2: real quick going back to that like basically Rocky montage of you working your ass off and you know not really having time to sleep and all that um, like what was your living situation like because I know mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that are like oh I want to do this but you know like, I can't you know my living situation right now is not perfect mm-hmm. I'd imagine because you said you grew up in a like rougher neighborhood and whatnot. not yeah. so like mm-hmm. what was it like I mean obviously as it was a kid
3: it, as a kid as a teenager like we, we get our house broken into all the time you know, so for me, I didn't, I never asked my parents for money, never wanted to. There were some times where I did some things that I shouldn't have, you know, you know, sold some things that I shouldn't have. To be honest with you, I um, mean, got into some trouble, you know, but at that point in time, like if I could go back and talk to my younger self, it was funny because I watched the Gemini, you know, the Will Smith movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched it on the way over here and I'm like, man, if I could go back and do the same shit, I would just tell myself to learn from every mistake in every experience because you're going to grow and get better from it and you know fortunately for me I have and I and I never made the, the same mistake again so
2: yeah. uh, taking a quote from Stone Cold from the podcast we just did he's like there's some people that will you know they will say like hey that that's a hot pan don't touch it mm. but young kids will be like mm, I want to go ahead and it's like oh shit okay that burned me yeah. he's like you do it once and you're good. He's like, it's a dumb ass that'll go back and keep doing yeah. it over and over and over. So, yeah, then living experiences that you can't get out of a book, you know, all that mm-hmm. stuff you got firsthand and it's made you who you are today. So yeah. in a way, if you did go back, you might have messed something up. Mm-hmm. Like you had to live what you lived through.
3: Yeah. It, it molded me to where I am today and how I am today, yeah. you know? So and I get to put that into my professional life and, and my family life, too, as well. And, and let them and let my, my kids know, like, listen. Dad's been there. Don't worry. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot that you're, you are that you don't see because we didn't put you in that environment. We did that for a reason, you know, because I went through it. So you don't have to go through it.
1: Yep. Is it hard to sometimes uh, remember that uh, that is your number one job being a dad?
3: No, no, because of the fact that, again, even though my dad worked very hard, he wasn't there for me a lot. So, like, for me, it was a good and a bad thing, right? So now... Every day that I come home, every night I come home, if I'm dead tired, I'm still going to play with my son. You know, I'm still going to, you know, spend at least a little bit of time with him as much as I possibly can. It don't matter how bad or how bad I feel or how tired I am. It's going to happen. Or I'm going to go to my my daughter's soccer game no matter how much work I have to do at the end of the day. It's going to get done. And that's that's a priority for me for sure.
0: You know, and that comes first and foremost. You said your son's five and he's doing jujitsu, right? Mm-hmm. Is that something he wanted to do or is something you you like you should do it? Um. A little bit of both
3: You know yeah. We 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 wrestle all the time So yeah. he was like
0: He didn't know what he wants to do right now
3: He's five uh-huh. years old So he's like He's like yeah dad I'm gonna go do I wanna do jujitsu And then so he we went there And he loved it And then from oh, there yeah. I was like okay cool We'll keep it If he was like I don't like to do it Then I probably would've been like We'll go a couple more times mm-hmm. See how it is you know, the first time you got to, you know,
2: yeah, it, well, I mean that's my next question is like, what about the, the girls? Because my daughter, mm-hmm. she was she showed interest in jujitsu mm-hmm. and then she had a friend that was like, I do karate. She's like, oh, now I want to do karate. And yeah. I'm, I'm just like, yeah. no, you don't. But I, sure. can't, I don't want to, like, be the parent that forces mm-hmm. her to do something she doesn't want to do. But at the same time. We, we talk about it on the podcast often, like sometimes you do have to force your kid to do something they don't want to do because True. they don't even know, they what, don't know they, what they want. Yeah. Exactly. And so
3: I just give it a timeline, like eh, try this out for a couple of weeks, yeah. you know, and see how you like it because you never know the first time may be a bad experience. The second time, may be a great experience. And, you know, so for that, I would say give it some, give it a time frame.
2: Mm-hmm. For and sure. do, do your girls get into it too? or?
3: Well, my, my, my younger daughter, she's more the athlete. My older daughter, she's just more of like the academia. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I want to be a lawyer. So I'm like, okay,
2: cool. Not bad.
3: You do that, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, but I, I try to make sure that they're doing something, whether it be, you know, debate team or something along the lines of that. Something that's going to keep them occupied mm-hmm. in a good way.
1: You have time for anything else? You got time for, you know, uh, reading or watching tv or i
3: read a lot i do read a lot um i make sure that i at least read a book a week you know i just finished oxygen advantage you know i finished that book and then i went right into now i'm doing anatomy trains by thomas myers um and then i'm also doing uh what is it the uh the history of the human body by david lieberman so i'm reading two books right now and then also audio books and stuff like that the good thing is when i drive you know i have that 90 minutes i get a lot of that self-education in Other than that, um, just spending time with my wife, you know, going to the movies, going out to eat dinner stuff, you know, and then, um, I've taken up some fishing lately with my son, with my son. And he's like, dad, I want to fish. And I said, all right, let's do it. I went to go buy, bought, you know, some rods and Mm -hmm. things like that. And one of my guys that, um, that is a, he's one of my closer friends. He's like a he's a fisherman and he was a boat captain. So we went out there and did it and I caught my first fish and he was mad that I caught the fish before him. He's like, Man, I was supposed to catch the fish. I was like, listen, son, it's gonna happen. Daddy's good. <laughs> but no, nah, it was fun. And then um I to go to the range and shoot a little bit sometimes. But that's about it. Yeah. That's all I have time for.
1: Yeah. I yeah. You're a busy guy. Yeah. yeah. Are you actually physically uh Training people uh, or, or
3: the 85 people, um, it's like some of it's remote and things no, like that. They're all, they're all at American Top Team. Yeah. I don't count the ones that I do online. Those are like I have about six or seven online clients. Mm-hmm. Some of them are athletes. Some of them are fighters. And then um, as far as like my programs that I have on sale. Those are basically just written out programs that people can purchase and, and go from there. And then obviously they have questions they can hit me up, e- email, DM, things like that, and I usually answer them pretty quickly. so but yeah, mostly mostly fighters um, in combat sports, so judo, boxing and MMA.
1: Are you paid by the fighters or by the gym? or So for Is American
3: top team, I am paid by American top team. Um, But for my boxers and my judo practitioners, they pay me directly.
2: Mm -hmm. Cool. So, how many people are gonna like can be at ATT at once? Like, uh, like I I can't. I don't even know how big the gym is. It's forty
3: thousand square feet. so there's a lot. We can definitely. We have over one hundred and fifty pro fighters, and most of them ninety percent, give or take, are in the UFC, Bellator, or ONE FC. So they're all major promotions. We have we have the best fight gym in the world, in my opinion. You know, we we proven it. We have. You know, plaques, we have belts Amanda Nunez, best fighter in the world In my opinion, right So we definitely are there I think at the, the most Difficult thing that we do have Is that it is also just a general Gym for general people To come in and that, that becomes An issue too as well when it gets oversaturated With people, but you have to pay the bills You know, so I get it What are but, some of
0: like the freakiest performance feats You've seen from any of the fighters that you've worked with
3: Okay, so VO2 max Of Dustin Poirier Was at 65 So that's Crazy It's like an Olympian um, As far as Let's see Edson Barbosa I've seen him jump A 44 Invert Believe it or not Well, you can believe it With the kicks he throws mm-hmm. um, As far as Strength feats I've seen Kyoji Horiguchi Who was a 1FC champ Right And also was A Bellator champ He can He can squat, Zurcher squat, three times body weight, deadlift three times body weight. He can bench press or floor press uh, one and a half times body weight. He's 135 pounds. So that's crazy. And then um, I got one guy by the name of Tiago Moises, who's a UFC fighter. Um, Probably um, from a, just from a strength standpoint, you know, I would say he's probably the strongest in the gym. You know, and he's only 175 pounds. So you're looking at it from that perspective, not from you know just just from a strength standpoint. He can outlift from that perspective. If you we would put like a you know what what we call that um, for powerlifting, what do you call it? Oh man, come on, <laughs> damn it! Uh, like when they tally up all the weight. Oh, your total. Oh, total. No, 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 no. Wilkes? Wilkes. Oh, you um, like put a Wilkes, Wilkes on him, and then yeah, uh, yeah he's you. he's got the best that percentage
1: What's the deal Desert your squat That's like a, a
3: death sentence That's a brutal exercise It is man But just get your Arms stronger and bigger You know <laughs> Shut the fuck up No I'm just kidding No the, a lot of times It's like The only reason Real reason is Because again It's the most efficient Way of loading The squat pattern For me right now Because again Axial loading With those athletes They're getting beat up All the time And, and again I'm just trying to Sit the body In the right position So that they can Get into that squat position And, and do the lift and, and get the adaptations We need um A lot of times, you know, it depends on the person again, but for that perspective, I think it's the most efficient and effective lift for what I have to do just to load a squat pattern. Same thing with a sumo deadlift. I like that because it allows for hip dexterity to occur. It allows for lateral force displacement. Um You're working on mobility there. And For my guys, my guys usually have stronger lower backs than they have hips, believe it or not. So I'm trying to work on the specific muscles that need to be strengthened, and we use those specific exercises to help with that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough one. The zercher squat's brutal, and it always kind of like bruises your arms, and you like don't realize it until a couple of days later. You're like, shit. Yeah, well, really we'll wrap it. Up. We'll wrap it up with like a, a towel or something along right. the lines of that. You know, with the good thing is that you're not going to be able to squat a zercher squat as much as you back squat, right? So you're still getting that load, right? That you need to increase force production. You're just not loading it to the degree of a back squat. So you ever use the harness that Louis has? I don't know. I don't. Even know I want to get it. I, I don't know if he still it. makes it. I oh, seen no. it at, at Westside when I was there. I was like, yeah. let me just get that real quick. <laughs> but no, no, I haven't. I haven't used it. Um, it was if, pretty cool because, like, your arms—you know, your your arms are like a
1: limiting factor mm-hmm, as, mm-hmm. as you start to get stronger. But the with
3: problem it. there is that I do like the upper body muscle activation yeah, that you absolutely. get Absolutely. So when I do that too, and a lot of guys they'll do the Zercher, well, they'll have their—they'll basically have you know, um, their hands clasped together. Mm-hmm. And what that does is that kind of eliminates that upper body activation. So we like to pull the hands apart and get into that supination mm-hmm. and drive the elbows up. So they're actually working the mid back a lot more that way. Yeah. It's a brutal exercise. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. But I mean, the guys, the guys take to it. I haven't seen, there's no, I mean, Cal says it a lot. Like he's like, you know, you have to crack a few eggs to make an omelet, but haven't had to like crack a few eggs though. That actually has been doing really well. You know sumo deadlifts Zercher
1: squats what else
3: are you a mm-hmm. fan of so any type of Zercher variation i'll do Zercher split squat good mornings um i do a lot of um i do a lot of box squats i do a lot of Zercher box squats i do trap bar deadlifts i do single leg joint i do single leg work unilateral work whether it be rear foot elevated front foot elevated Um rdls are a big you know part of our our you know, our exercise list and pool. Um, as far as upper body, I do a lot of floor pressing, incline pressing, single single arm work. We do a glute bridge, floor press too, as well for a special exercise to help with the glute activation, help with force production, and also it's specific to what they're going to be doing when they're a bridge and roll perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, you know, a lot of rows rows and horizontal do some pull-ups depending on if they have the ability to rotate the elbow directly um and again it just depends on the joint prerequisites so those are my my main lifts and then rotational exercises anti-rotational exercises especially if you do a lot with the landmine so we'll do like um we'll do all of our ollie style lifts whether it be speed strength orientated we'll do a lot of snatches a lot of push presses because in that range In that 45-degree range, we could still get the adaptations we need. We're just not getting them into that overhead position
0: because a lot of them don't have that that shoulder flexion. Mm -hmm. For all the strength coaches listening, along obviously with yourself and all the information you put out on YouTube, Instagram, your website, who are some other strength coaches you think that people should be paying a lot of attention to because it's a loud space?
3: Yeah, okay. So here's my guys. Lauren Landau. Hands down, one of my guys that everybody should take note of. He's the um, head strength and conditioning coach of the Denver Broncos, but he also works with a lot of UFC fighters. He has a uh, Landau's uh, sports performance in Denver. Cal mm-hmm. Dietz, obviously, he, you know, he puts out a lot of good information, a lot of free information, which is crazy to me. Um, Joel Jameson still has by far the best conditioning book out there. Um, let me think. Let me think. You know, one of my guys that's close to me uh, that, um, not putting too much information out there, but he should, and I'm going to get on his ass about it. Is Corey Peacock. He works with a lot of the old black civilians he worked with, like Michael Chandler and, and, um, um uh, um, the what's way champ, USC? Uh, Kamara? Kamara Usman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say his name. <laughs> Why don't you want to say his name? <laughs> oh, shit. You can't yeah. say his name, gotcha. man. I'll let you say his okay. name. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he just beat one of my guys. So. Oh, man. Okay. So fucking Cory. <laughs> but yeah, so those are the guys right now that are really doing well with it. Um yeah, I mean that was it. Okay. Oh, Joe DeFranco. I can't I can't leave him out, man. Joe's my guy. Yeah. So DeFranco and if you don't know who Joe DeFranco is and you're not and you're in the strength and you know, in strength conditioning industry, if you don't know who he is, shame on you.
1: Sure. Okay. Yeah. Awesome, man. Uh, what you doing down here in L.A.? I know the, the Fit Expo is going on, but yeah. uh, are you training anybody that, that's doing powerlifting or, or MMA over here? No, like
3: no, no. I was here doing a couple of things. I had to do a couple of other uh, you know, podcasts and interviews and stuff like that. And uh, we we're just here to check out the L.A. Fit Expo, see how it is. And now, now I've got to get back because I got You're out uh,
1: here trying to be a Hollywood hunk. That's uh, it. So yeah, trying that's to get it. recognized, really? trying to get in a movie. Why don't you just say it?
3: Just tell us. I mean, I, I got some acting skills. Yeah, I've been in some films. It's
2: okay. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What kind of films? Hey, relax. This is on camera.
3: Is this off? Is off wait, air? Wait, huh? Hello. It's so just us in our room. No, but in all seriousness, I did uh, some videos for Mind Pump, and then we did some things with uh, Jason Frugia. So it was good. Awesome, man. Mm-hmm. Where can people? Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on my website, derustrong.com. Also, my Instagram is at derustrong. Twitter's at derustrong. And also, um, my YouTube, Phil Derustrong. You saw the mentorship program, right? Yep. Yep. We got because, 65 coaches. Yeah. That are like really hitting it, hitting it hard there right now. There's a lot of good information in there yeah oh yeah. you've been on now appreciate that thank you yeah so we put out you know i got all my methodologies all my protocols programs in there um articles you know studies that put out that are put out that i feel are beneficial for the coaches that are working with the athletes that they're working with uh, but yeah you can find that on my website if you go to the link in either the bio in my instagram or just the website in general you'll find it search dot squats.com uh, why are you are you hating on the Zercher squats? Right no, now? they're just I'm going to go ahead and put you onto the Zercher squats. You, know, that's you know,
1: you know what? I'm just happy I don't have to do them anymore. Man. Yeah, that's you true. Know, they were part. You're of a my, bodybuilder
3: now. They forgot. were part of
1: my powerlifting career. They yeah. were, I Well, that's good because yeah. not a lot
3: of powerlifters actually implement that. Yeah, I did you know? those. I did those in good mornings. Yeah, like every other it. week. That's another thing that I forgot to tell you. Yeah, we we'll do a lot of good mornings. Do a lot of like different stances in good mornings. Wide stance, close stance. You know, nobody uh, wants stance. to do a good morning. They're terrible. Yeah, yeah they suck, but they
0: work for sure. Awesome. Where can people find you, SEMA At SEMA Yin Yang on Instagram and YouTube. And Byte, B-Y-T-E. Mm-hmm. Huh? And then uh, SEMA Yin Yang at TikTok and Twitter. How about you, Andrew?
2: Uh, at I am Andrew Z, but make sure you guys are following the podcast at Mark Bell's Power Project Podcast, at MB Power Project on TikTok, Twitter, now bite, whatever the hell that is, mm-hmm. uh, Facebook.com slash Mark Bell's Power Project, LinkedIn.com slash IN slash Power Project. I think that's it. Uh, Make sure you guys are subscribed on on, uh, Instagram. uh, For sure, YouTube, if you're watching this right now on YouTube. And uh, leave us a rating and review. If I was Mark Bell, where would I be? At
1: Mark Smelly Bell. Pretty much everywhere. Strength is never weakness. Weakness is never strength. Catch you all later.
2: What up, Power Project crew? This is Andrew sneaking in right here at the very end. We really, really appreciate everybody that's been reviewing, uh, rating and reviewing on iTunes. It helps the podcast so much. So if you guys have gotten any benefit or any value out of any of the episodes, yeah, we really would appreciate it if you guys would go ahead and just take the time to drop a review. Like our boy, Clingy Man B. I think that's how you pronounce it. He says, mind-changing. Quote, Love you guys for the content you share and talk about. It's real and raw and has changed my mindset on so much and my diet. Please don't stop doing what you're doing. More and more people need to hear this. That means a lot uh, on so many levels. Um, obviously, it does help the, the podcast with like getting uh, the reviews and the ratings up because that will put it in front of more people, but that heartfelt review right there. That's freaking awesome. Thank you so much, man. We really appreciate that. If you guys want to leave a review, if you guys want to hear your name at the end of a podcast, just drop a review and you could hear your name uh, after one of these podcasts. So we'll catch you guys soon. Thank you.